did Jesus go up and do this all in one fell swoop? Maybe not. That's okay. That doesn't destroy our faith in Jesus. It's just how these authors, inspired by God, for the purposes that they wrote, packaged this teaching that Jesus provided for us. There's no question that the teaching is from Jesus. There's no question that it supports the rest of the Bible and the rest of the Bible supports it. So we can take the context of the rest of the Bible as proof of its authenticity. This is Study with Friends, a weekly dive into the answers and questions we find in the Bible, the church, and the broader Christian faith. I'm Paige, and today we'll be learning about kingdom citizenship as we'll be starting a new series focusing on the Sermon on the Mount as found in Matthew 5 through 7. This series will be different in that it will be an eight-week study with five daily programs to help you study the Sermon on the Mount in a much deeper and more reflective way. If you want the study material or more information about this series or other resources we provide, you can find them all on our website, studywithfriends.org. Now, let's begin our study. Okay, day four, week one, Sermon on the Mount. The authenticity of the sermon. So this is a big favorite of mine in all ways to, and you mentioned this the very first day, just understanding the context and these are all really important things. I mean, I think we're modeling here a really good practice for approaching any scripture segment or even verse is really take your time and understand what you're reading um, with in context of the rest of the Bible. So we did Old and New Testament in the context of the usefulness of your in, in a, of it in your life and, and where it challenges you and feels not useful or confusing. Don't just set it aside. Dig in. How does God mean this to be falling on me for my good? In order to do that, we, we need to trust that actually this is what Jesus said. This is what God wants. So I wonder if you might feel confused about the order that I put things, but I did it on purpose. So um, the authenticity to me is an important part of week one. But honestly, I think that the authenticity we've been building towards it through Old Testament and New Testament, um, I think it's good to understand the context. But I said before, Scripture teaches Scripture. So I would go first to the rest of the word and then to what was the historical context? What was the religious context? Those are important, but for me, I prioritize what else did God say about this? Because God is the authority. The rest of it is super useful, but God is the, um, the authority on it. So some people, they're not going to worry about this. They're going to say, of course, I accept their sermon, but, but let's spend some time in it. So first, we could just hit head on that the Sermon on the Mount, which appears in the Gospel of Matthew, is written a little bit differently than it's written in the other, what we call synoptic Gospels. Mm-hmm. Why are they called synoptic? They're more, the same topics are addressed, but they are, in Luke as well as Mark, direct, shorter passages that give the essence of what occurred as opposed to the full breath. Does anybody know what the word synoptic means? Optic, doctor? Optic? Vision. Mm-hmm. So, s- syn, S Y N, like sync. Mm-hmm. Okay, so synoptic short, means vision. shared vision. So, the, these three gospels, as you said, really share a lot. 
There's a, a website that I love. It's, I think it's called para-gospel.com, I think. But it actually has all of the Gospels, every verse, and where that appears in the other Gospels. Mm. But it has it side by side. And so it's really a good visual for why the Synoptic Gospels are called that, because John is always empty. <laughs> and then John comes in, and those three are empty. It's like John was, mm. John is certainly telling the same story, totally different perspective and a different way of attacking it. So that's why they're called, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptics. The synoptic gospels. Does anybody know the difference between the th so they share they share a lot, but does anybody know the difference between the perspectives uh, between those three gospels? You said you were studying Luke. Well, Matthew was um, looking to Jews, basically addressing Jews, um, so he refers back a lot to the law and to the Old Testament. Mm -hmm kind of points to Jesus fulfilling it. Yes. So uh, does anybody know the audience or the perspective that Mark was really speaking into or the sort of the overarching theme of Mark, the purpose? Luke, writing to a different audience, points out how God's salvation purpose includes all people over all time. Right. So so let's sit with Luke for a minute. So if I if I had to summarize the perspectives of the three synoptics, Matthew saying, hey, Jews, this is the guy we've been waiting for. Hey, Luke says, hey, people who don't know anything about any of that, this is for you. Pay attention. And so Luke wrapping his arms around Jesus as, as including all people, that, that God's promises in the Old Testament, all the covenants, all his promises were for all people, not just the Jews. Right. So that's the emphasis, if you will, that Luke is placing. And then Mark, um, I would summarize by saying, presents Jesus as the suffering servant. So he juxtaposes his miracles with his humanness to help mm -hmm. us understand that element of Christ. There's a reason they're all in there. We need all of these perspectives. And frankly, if you're like me, you'd like a thousand more perspectives but in some ways this is like what James and the sermon do together they interplay having said that they say it differently so in the study I gave an example and I told a story two different ways if you think about the purpose of a story so the I'll do I'll do a brief one the first way I told the story was I went to the grocery store I got out of my car and there was a coyote I think is what I said was it a coyote in the story? I made it up. Did not really happen. Oh, yeah, it was coyote. Okay. Got out of my car. There was a coyote. And I was, you know, freaking out. And I described my fear. And then, of course, I in, my, in that story, I go into the store. There happened to be a sale on canned goods, and, and I stocked up. And then I came out. The coyote was gone. I got in my car. Everything was fine. The second way I told the story was... I went to the grocery store. I got out of my car to go in. There was a coyote. That was crazy. But there was this sale on canned goods. They're 50 cents. You have to go. I got like a year's worth of canned goods. You have to go. Did you know they had this sale every year? I didn't know. Both totally the same story. But the purpose, my intent, was different. They're both true. It's both my experience. 
And so that's a really useful way to consider not just the Gospels and how we receive the sermon and how we receive the passages in Luke or the other Gospels where it may seem that did Jesus go up and do this all in one fell swoop? Maybe not. That's okay. That doesn't destroy our faith in Jesus. It's just how these authors, inspired by God, for the purposes that they wrote, packaged this teaching that Jesus provided for us. There's no question that the teaching is from Jesus. There's no question that it supports the rest of the Bible and the rest of the Bible supports it. So we can take the context of the rest of the Bible as proof of its authenticity. We don't sweep it under the the rug that there seem to be some differences, but we account for those differences not by saying this can't be true, but by saying, of course it can be true. I did see a coyote and there was a sale on canned goods. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. what, how does that hit you when it comes to processing the, the content of the Sermon on the Mount being packaged one way in one gospel and maybe differently in another? It's very helpful it, uh, because there are a lot of things that seem like inconsistencies because a little detail varies. And when you, when you remember that it's different authors with different points of view or different aim mm -hmm. in what they're writing, uh, it does help reconcile some of those apparent discrepancies. Okay, let me, let me get into, I, I really want to lean into the different, you said aim. I thought that was a good word, the different aim of each gospel mm -hmm. and how that affect and audience, you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So aim and audience. They're together, but not exactly the same. Um, using my example of the coyote at the grocery store and also the canned goods sale, <laughs> let's, let's piece that out a little bit more. Can both of those stories be 100% true? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Would you summarize, summarize the telling or give me a sense of, I didn't flesh it out. I, I kind of skimmed over the story. But if the purpose is, I want to let you know, about the coyote versus I want to let you know about the sale. Tell me about how that might play out. It might feel like an obvious question, but I just want to sit in it for a minute. How might that play out in the way that I tell the story? So where the emphasis will come into play is um, the inclusion of more vocabulary, more descriptive vocabulary at different points in time. So um, in the example of you going over the, the second version of the story, where you're emphasizing the sale, there was a coyote and even a dismissive move. There was a coyote, mm -hmm. but let me tell you about this sale. And then you um, extend the conversation about what was on sale, where was on sale, how long they've done this, so on and so forth. But in the prior version, when, when the emphasis is on the fear of the coyote, yeah. it's there is this coyote there, and you talk, of, you use you know, adjectives to describe the fact that you were in fear of the coyote. Um, and at some point you did make it into the store, but even after you made it in the store and you came back, your mind was still on the coyote sure. and everything kept circling back to <coughs> the main point of your of your story in the first case the coyote second case the, the sale of the canned goods yeah. everything you said is true the words i used and you actually mimicked my body language mm -hmm. but the gospels are written word so i i get to tell you a story with all my facilities when i'm telling you with my mouth and my my voice but i don't have all my facilities when I just have to write it down, right? So then it's all about the words that I use, right? Mm -hmm. And so how might that play out in the Gospels? If Matthew is 
speaking to Jews about Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And Luke is talking about the inclusive Savior. And Mark is talking about the suffering servant. Without, I'm not asking you to be Bible-memorized scholars, but just give me an example of how that might play out in the three Gospels, in the retelling of the teachings that we find in the sermon. Well, I think that in Matthew, the purpose is different. His purpose is almost con- to convince, whereas the other purposes are to shed light mm-hmm. based off, now that you have been convinced, let me show you um, in these particular circumstances, or let's expand on these topics a little bit more. Whereas Matthew's like, I've got to convince you. So I have to tell you everything that happened, everything that Jesus said, so you can really see how he is the fulfillment of the law. If I leave anything out, eh, then I might miss something that might contribute to you really seeing who he is. Right, and right. I, I can't take that chance because I want you mm-hmm. to have faith, mm-hmm. the same faith that I have. A little bit like, um, a little bit in, in day two, I put a spattering of the James and Sermon juxtapositions, mm-hmm. but then at the end, I put all the ones I could find. I wanted to convince you <laughs> that this was real, this parallelism. I did some of it here, but all of it somewhere else. If I'm Matthew, I'm going to include as much Old Testament stuff as I can, right? Mm-hmm. Luke, not so much. Like in this coyote story, in the in the book, I, I said, I even said where I saw it. I said it was at the edge of the woods. Because I'm, I'm telling you my experience, but I'm also equipping you. If you go to that store, be looking. <laughs> so the details that I included, scriptures from the Old Testament versus pulling from a Gentile culture, of course that's going to be different. What else sticks out to you? Each one is important mm-hmm. that they, for us to be able to read, it gives Christ more dimensions, yeah. makes them deeper and richer, and, you know, you see different facets of him. Yeah, that's he looks so whole, good. He looks whole. Yes. yes. It's not just something you're studying. For us, we kind of need all three of them, even though all three of them, the three, they had different agendas. Marilyn, your thoughts? Uh, no, I was just thinking of the uh, providence of God in giving us all four Gospels. Yes. <laughs> Even though there are different perspectives, it, it gives us different perspectives, too. Thank God. Thank yeah. God. So interesting. You said aim, and we're talking about audience. So if I'm to just extend this metaphor with a coyote slash canned goods story a little bit, my purpose for telling you might have been coyote, but if you were really low on canned goods, you might have grabbed on to, oh. I'm so sorry you saw the coyote, but... I will see you later because I need to go get that sale, (laughs) right? So the audience gets to also receive it in their own individual way. Mm. And that's why Mm. the synoptics, all the gospels and the the roundness of the way that they're told and the, the facets of Jesus that they unveil is the fullness of what God has in mind for us to understand about Jesus. Mm. And, Uh, That's what I like. So either story I told, however I told it, there were some pieces of information you take with you. And what my emphasis was may or may not 
be what you need to hear or understand yes. or take with you in that moment. So whatever it is that we talked earlier about how when you read the word, new things come up. It's a fresh experience. And so my aim for how I tell you the story might be different than what you need to hear or learn or what the Lord has for you in that moment. And so certainly, you know, that's that's applicable to how we think about the Gospels and how we think about the teaching of the sermon and the authenticity of the sermon and whether we can receive it as authentically Jesus's manifesto, as John Stott says, for how his disciples should live, kingdom living. Can we receive it that way if in if in our own inerrant scripture it seems to appear differently in the different gospels. So uh, what else do we want to say about that as we as we land that plane? Because that's an important thing for us to really think about. I, it's it's important as we start the study, but it's important globally in the view of scripture to, to understand how to reconcile what seems to look like it's in conflict. We did a little bit that with James and Paul. Let's mm -hmm. do that here with the sermon looking a little bit different. What, what do we need to take away from this? Well, that the, the word does, it, the, the word provides the answers. I mean, the answers are there for you if it seems uh, disjointed somehow or doesn't seem to line up. I mean, just, that's the wonderful thing about opportunities like this to study together. And it's, it's there. You have to seek it, mm -hmm. but it is there. Mm -hmm. And I think we can open the Bible knowing that. That God is perfect. That is perfect. And if we see an imperfection, it's on us, not him. It's, <laughs> yeah. So the, the four reasons that I put forth in the study for the authenticity of, of the sermon, I'm just going to really quickly overview them and then dive into one a little bit. Um, we talked about Matthew um, being the one where the sermon is one fell swoop. Um, and being the one that uh, emphasizes the Old Testament. And um, as, as a result of that, Matthew is considered to be one of the most historically conscious of the Gospels, um, which makes sense, right? Because he's drawing those parallels between the history of Israel. So um, that's one, uh, one reason that we can sort of rely on the authenticity. And we talked about the discrepancies. But I, and I also zinged by it contains teachings that are unique to Jesus because he is coming in reframing the law. Um, but they are consistent with all the other teachings about Jesus, Old and New Testament. So the the sermon contains teachings that are unique to Jesus. He's he's giving us something here that's different than what came before it. Uh, but it's consistent it's rooted in the Jewish tradition. And um, and then the last that we haven't talked about yet is how influential the Sermon on the Mount was in the early Christian community. And uh, what I want to just say about that, and I'm going to read the quote from Elliot Nash. And this is from his book called Early Christian Commentary of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's actually the editor of that. Um, and he says, what the lost and dying world needs today is not a new definition of Christianity, but a present day demonstration of Christianity. Rather than define Christianity to accommodate our present generation, we must rediscover Christianity from the apostolic generation. 
In this regard, the early Christian writings may be a helpful tool in order to get us closer to that apostolic era of doctrine and practice. I want to know if you agree with what he's saying there. You want to rephrase what you heard and then tell me, do you agree and why or why not? I picked up on the idea that we need to present the apostolic view of the gospel and not change the gospel to fit our situation or our time or um, our culture, but that we need to demonstrate what is in the, in the gospel um, and that if we do that, it will be relevant mm-hmm. to any generation. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go and change it. If we live it out, people will see its worth. Hmm. So if I'm rephrasing what I think I heard you say, you're saying we shouldn't exert our culture on the gospel. Instead, we should exert the gospel on our culture. Right. So you agree with Elliot Nitsch? Yes. And he's, he's, of course, talking about the culture, but he's also really drilling into the early church. Is there anything about the early church that, that you feel like a fondness towards or something you wish we did better now that they were doing well then? Do you agree with what he's saying? Uh, because he really is saying we shouldn't try to be the modern church in a modern time. We should actually be trying to be the apostolic church closest to the gospel experience instead of us speaking to how we receive now we should be thinking how did they receive it then that's what he's saying so i'm asking if you agree with that and if so why i'm hesitating because i'm in agreement Mm -hmm. but i'm questioning if i would apply that agreement all the time i agree that that is the way we need to as the church body approach because Jesus told us exactly how it should be. Mm-hmm. So there's no need to deviate mm-hmm. from what we've been told. When God has, who, the person who has the authority has told you um, how it needs to be and has laid it out there for you, to come back and question that and say, well, shouldn't we modernize it? He didn't say in five years or every so often, do something different. Mm-hmm. He said, this is how it is. And keeping on topic with the Sermon on the Mount, he already compared it to Moses, or it's already in comparison mm-hmm. to, to, the, to the Ten Commandments and, and Moses going up on the mountain, which was many years before that. And he's not saying, throw that away. He's saying, my word endures forever. Yeah. So my word endures forever in the past and in the present and in mm-hmm. the future. Yeah. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. So for me, the heavy reliance on the Sermon on the Mount in the apostolic church is further evidence of its authenticity because anytime you're closer to the thing I feel like that has weight so in time is what I mean so I I wasn't around when Kennedy was assassinated but some people I know were I'm not making eye contact with any of them and um, (laughs) (laughs) but you always remember where you were yeah I do and so right right so my kids don't remember when 9-11 happened but I do Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. that that intimacy with the moment is is important and and so I just wanted to lift that up as part of the authenticity part of the reason to allow the sermon to do what it was designed to do and again there's more in the homework Hi again, it's Paige. Thanks again for joining us in our study today. We hope that you found some great truths to apply to your life and encouragement for your faith as you continue to mature in your walk with Jesus. 
We here at Study With Friends are modeled more like a small group. We want to encourage you to continue your growth through the local church. If you don't have a church home, we encourage you to find one where the Bible is taught in every situation. Study With Friends is a completely donor-supported ministry, and if we have blessed you, would you consider donating to us? Monthly partnerships are particularly helpful, but no amount is too small. We'd also love to stay connected. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can stream us on the go wherever you are with iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And now you can watch the ladies on YouTube. If all that seems to be a bit too much for you, feel free to email us. You can find our email address on our website, studywithfriends.org. While you're there, you can check out a myriad of other resources we have that are all free for you. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time when we study with friends.